if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. No, it's not Bob France. Good morning, Cleveland. Best location in the nation and home of the smartest, strongest, fastest, toughest, best-looking people in America. You're listening to Always Right on Salem 1420 WHK, but this is Pete Kirstenau substituting for Bob France this 13th day of October 2022. If you care to participate... On today's show, the call-in number is 216-901-0945, 216-901-0945, and you'll be greeted by our great call screener, Marianne. I'm also pleased to have assisting me the best engineer in the business, John. Now, what are we going to be doing today? Well, we're going to be trying to substitute for somebody who I consider to be the finest talk show host in America. We're fortunate to have him, but he doesn't always exercise the best of judgment, witnessed by the fact that he allows me on occasion to substitute for him and thereby jeopardizes FCC licensing. That's not a smart thing to do, Bob. In any event, I'm going to do what I can with it. Maybe I won't go to jail Maybe I will, but in the end, I'll probably still be here until 11.45 when the show concludes. They haven't yet marshaled their forces outside the window here. I don't see handcuffs or anything, so I'm in good shape. Those of you who are regular listeners to the show recognize me as Bob's regular Tuesday, 10 o'clock guest. I'm a lawyer, member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, and in my spare time, I write thriller novels. And, in fact, my next novel, The Devil's Weapons, I don't choose the titles, the publisher does, is set for release December 9th, and a couple of months thereafter, its sequel, The Devil's Assassins, will be released. You can buy them 
at any and all booksellers, and Devil's Weapons is available right now for pre-order on Amazon. Please buy them, contribute to my grandkids' educational fund, and the remainder will go to beer. In the meantime, you can find my articles on politics and anything else that captures my fancy uh, on everything from immigration to crime to critical race theory, education policy, and they appear almost daily on National Review Online and The Federalist and other right-wing crank sites. Um, I'm really looking forward, actually, and I've mentioned this before on Bob's show. I think it was, um, I don't remember when it was. I guess it was Tuesday. We all know that Salem is having the Battleground Talkers Tour again. Now, the last time we did this was before the pandemic, and we had a lot of fun. I believe it was in Independence at the Holiday Inn, but we do it about once a year. It is phenomenal fun. gives us a chance to meet our listeners. We have great interactions, and it's going to be next Saturday, the Battleground Talkers Tour will be the weekend after this coming weekend, Saturday, October 22nd. It's going to be at the IX Center, 730. IX Center at 730 on 22nd. Bob France will be there. Hugh Hewitt will be there. The officer Brandon Tatum is going to be there. Eric Metaxas, check-in for general admission begins at 630. Now, we're going to be discussing the all-important midterms and the most important issues that will be deciding the outcome of those midterms. What are those issues? Well, those issues are everything that pertains to a record. Record gas prices, record inflation, record crime increases, record illegal immigration, the erosion of our educational institutions, corruption of the culture, critical race theory, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Nothing is off limits because, as our friend Larry Elder likes to say, We've got a country to save. And guess what? The Battleground Talkers Tour is free, absolutely free. All you have to do is register and reserve a space by contacting WHK. Just go to the website and register so that you can get your free ticket. The sponsors and Salem WHK think that this is so important in the advent to the midterms. Now, every election, you always hear it, and I'm an old man, so I've heard it a gazillion times. The next election is the most important election of our lifetimes. Hugh likes to say it very often. Um, You know, and given where we are in any given point in time, sometimes eh, that sounds like that may be the case. This time it is the most important election. You have seen what Biden and the Democrats have done in just 18 months to this great country. Truly astonishing. This is an amazing thing. Um, it's going to be raucous. It's going to be educational. It's going to be tremendously fun at the Talkers Tour next Saturday. Not this coming Saturday, but the one after that on the 22nd. At least one of us is probably, one of the panelists is likely to get arrested. You can place your bets on who that probably will be. I'm not going to, you know, place my own bet because you just never know. Hugh gets out of control sometimes. He just, those Harvard guys, you know, they're just so raucous. You you just don't know what they're going to do. Again, October 22nd, 730, IX Center, be there. Today, what are we going to be doing here today? I'm going to try to avoid getting arrested. At 930, we have as one of our guests, John Stover, the great John Stover of the Ohio Value Voters. We're going to be talking about the Biden administration's Title IX rules that would gut protections 
frankly, for kids, for females and males, by having, you know, co-ed locker rooms, restrooms. This is true, folks, and this has been happening across the country, as you know. But Title IX would enshrine it in federal regulatory scheme. And because huge dollars are attached to that scheme, that would compel virtually every school to do that. You've seen this nightmare unfold in Loudoun County, for example. It would be and will be unfolding throughout the country. The common period for it, you may have heard me talking about this with you, um, and also Tucker in the past. The common period for this closed about three months, three weeks ago. They had a record number of comments submitted on these rules. I, it was just overwhelming. Nothing has even come close. I submitted my own comment on it, identifying the legal issues with respect to it as, uh, as well as the practical issues. Um, but we're going to be talking about that with John Stover, along with certain bills that are currently pending, such as the Parents' Bill of Rights, the SAFE Act regarding transgender surgery on minors, and also... School board member Brendan Shea, you may have heard about this on this show in the past also, his resolution in opposition to all the, the, the Title IX type of mandates, the changes to Title IX that would place males in female locker rooms and restrooms and vice versa. Then, after we're done with John, 10.30, we'll be talking to J. Christian Adams. He is... You may have heard him on our show before. I had him as a guest host a few months ago, or a guest as a, when I was guest hosting a few months ago, that is. He is the premier election law expert in the country. Here we are at the advent to the midterm elections. No better person to analyze what's going on. He's a former DOJ official, and he was in the voting rights of the Justice Department. He's my current colleague on the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. He does not suffer fools Gladly. He's very smart, very shrewd, very tough, asks penetrating questions of the witnesses. Um, We need more people like him as far as I'm concerned. We're going to be talking about the election coming up, election integrity, voting by mail issues, uh, whether or not we can be sure that we don't have any. uh Uh-oh, I better not mention election integrity or fraud because maybe I'm looking out the window here. It's a beautiful day in Cleveland. The FBI might show up. You know, I can't be an election denier here because Biden's personal Stasi will show up, maybe put some handcuffs on I me. Mean, this is not, you know, a joke anymore. You have seen this on television. You have seen people who are singing hymns, and all of a sudden it looks like DEFCON whatever. You've got the SEALs showing up, it appears. I mean, you've got the FBI hostage rescue team, it appears. They've got full-blown gear, long guns, the whole thing. And they come in swarms of 15, 20 people for a pastor. In the meantime, you have seen the carnage on the streets. Can the Biden administration do anything about that? Most of that is a local issue, but a lot of it has federal implications to it also. Where are they? Missing in action. Better go after the hymn singers. The rest of the time, that is 9.30 to 10, we're going to have John Stover. And then we're going to have Jay Christian Adams, as I indicated, at 10.30, but the rest of the time is open line. I want to talk to you, the listeners. We've got all manner of things that we can talk about. The time is for you. Please call between 10 and 10.30 and 11 to 11.45. 
please call 10 to 1030, 11 to 1145. The number again, 216-901-0945. Before we get started, though, I want to thank some of our listeners. I'm I'm blessed that many of you will contact me from time to time, uh, uh, send me emails. Occasionally, you'll send me handwritten letters. Uh, Among the people I want to thank, I know I'm going to miss some, but uh, let me just keep it brief. Connie and Terry, you know who you are. Thanks very much for um, the f- the fine interaction that we had. We're going to have some more. Also, George, I I don't want to uh, I don't want to mention last names because I don't want to out people that they actually will associate with somebody of my ilk. But uh, I received an email from George that was troubling. I was somewhat aware of this, but he drew my sharp attention to it, and that is he informs that the Communist Party of China, you may have heard about this, is putting a police station. In New York City. How does that happen? That police station is there to keep check on their nationals. If they step out of line, their state police will nab them, and who knows what happens with them. How does this stunning of development occur? Where is the Biden administration, unless they're simply lining their pockets with Chinese dough, to permit our premier adversary? Someone who is undermining the United States of America at every turn, whether it's at the border, with respect to fentanyl, with respect to our strategic interests, they permit them, this totalitarian regime, to have a police station in New York City where, among other things, they can spy. We know that they're buying up land near all of our missile bases, but they can spy and they can be... um, run roughshod over their own nationals who may be attending universities here or engaged in other activities here. Truly astonishing. Can you imagine if 40 years ago Reagan or anyone else had permitted the KGB to have an office in New York City? Now, because our media is so corrupt, and I use that term advisedly, so corrupt, we kind of blink when we hear this stuff, and they don't ask any questions whatsoever, any questions whatsoever, when we are faced with rampant evidence of Biden corruption, especially with respect to China. You all saw the Bobulinski interview, which should have been on the front page of every newspaper, should have led every broadcast if we had an honest, transparent, unbiased media. It's the biggest story other than the huge political disaster, the biggest um, scandal in American political history, and that was the Russia hoax, none of which was true, but for four years they carried the water on that, perpetuated that complete lie, awarded themselves the biggest prizes in journalism perpetuated, and then said kind of, eh, never mind. And actually, they really didn't say never mind. They just kind of were slinking off into the sunset, and every once in a while, they'll simply presume that no one got the message and hope that everyone thinks that Donald Trump was a Russian asset. But we have tremendous amount of information showing, in addition to Bobulinski, that Hunter Biden got huge sums of money, at least 10% of which was held for the big guy. But nothing to see here. Move along. In any event, that's what we're going to be doing We're going to be talking about all manner of things. Uh, I see I'm getting the hook already. We're going to be going to commercial pretty soon. I've been babbling so long. At the other end of this break, 
We'll talk about some of the things I'd like to talk about. There's so many things to talk about. At the bottom of the hour, as I said, we're going to be talking to John Stover. But please call at 10 o'clock to talk about all the other things going on. Mainly, what's going to happen with these all-important midterms? Is somebody in the Republican Party going to do something that will ensure that we get the House, the Senate? Will we get the House? Will we get the Senate? Will we get both? Will we get neither? And do you think Tim Ryan will win the Senate race in Ohio, or will it be J.D. Vance? And we can go on and on. We're going to go to a break. When we come back from the break, we'll address those issues. And then John Stover of Ohio Value Voters will be with us. We're going to have a rocking good time. As you can tell from the bumper music, it's Curse Now, guest hosting for Bob France on Always Right. As I indicated in the intro, we're going to be joined by John Stover at the bottom of the hour to talk about all manner of crazy cultural things and educational things that are occurring in the United States, but more specifically in the state of Ohio. And then at the top of the next hour, please call in. I know Sally's on hold Sally, if you can call back again, 10 o'clock, we're going to take your call. We're going to talk about anything and everything you guys want to uh, talk about. I'm most interested in, by the way, what's going to happen in the midterms. Is there going to be a takeover of the House, the Senate, or both by Republicans? And if so, here's the question I've got for you. If Republicans get majorities in both houses, what's the first thing they should do? Now, a lot of that depends on how many votes they get or how many seats they pick up, whether they can override vetoes, which I doubt that's going to happen, but they're going to have to work with Biden or the other way around, frankly. But nonetheless, they can thwart things. They can also conduct certain hearings and investigations. I know you're all sick of mere investigations. You want them to do things, but those investigations are important since we have a completely and utterly corrupt press that doesn't yield information. But it's important. It's part of the hygienic mechanism that the founders placed into effect don't discount it even though it looks like they're just simply going through motions remember we've got some really good people like jim jordan and ted cruz and mike lee tom cotton who can do the questioning in an appropriate way to get the best results do you have an upset pick mike mike dewine over nan whaley what's going to happen here also please feel free to weigh in remember this now What's the first thing Republicans should do if they get a majority in either or both houses of Congress? As I indicated, much of it depends on whether or not they have a veto-proof majority. I doubt that that's going to happen. But if they have a certain critical mass, they can get certain things done. You know, they may be limited by filibuster, presidential veto, depending upon how many seats they get. But what are the biggest issues? Please call in at 10 o'clock. Let me know what are the biggest issues that they need to address. Inflation? Gas prices, illegal immigration, Ukraine, Armageddon, you know, uh, crime in general, um, which is not really a federal congressional issue except for FBI and DOJ being held to account, going after parents and pro-lifers, Trump supporters, uh, should they try to reverse or pass legislation that would somehow reverse the um, reversal by Biden of Trump's 
drilling initiatives, oil drilling, placing, placing certain lands um, off limits for oil drilling. What about education, of course? The Dems have federalized it. Title IX and the transgender issue. We are, folks, 38th, the great United States of America. The shining city on the hill is 38th in the world in math. That's a travesty. We are injecting CRT into the curriculum, and we're forgetting reading, writing, and arithmetic, and we're going to produce a bunch of underachieving individuals who think they know what they're doing, who think they're great, but can't even add and subtract. Our even our Chinese, the Chinese universities are starting to supplant United States universities. Never were even close before, but now are starting to meet and surpass the quality of American universities in terms of research. Folks, we can't let this to happen. That's a regime that wants complete domination. It's a totalitarian regime, and if they're number one in the world. We are in deep trouble. When we come back at the other side of the bottom of the hour, we'll be joined by John Stover to discuss these issues in depth. This is Pete Kirsnow substituting for Bob France on Always Right and Listen to Jimi Hendrix. Among the uninformed, always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Good morning, Cleveland. This is Pete Kirstenau substituting for Bob France on Always Right here in Cleveland, Ohio. We're going to be having a rocking time. We're discussing a number of issues. But the first thing that we're going to discuss substantively is, among other things, education, and more particularly, education and the general culture with our good friend, the great John Stover, president of the Ohio Value Voters. John, are you there? Yes, Peter. Thank you for having me on today. Absolutely. Good morning. So last month, as I told the listeners at the top of the hour, I submitted a comment to President Biden's administration's, uh, the President Biden administration's rule on Title IX, which will place women's high school and college sports in jeopardy. There's no, uh, you know, way of soft soaping it. It places biological males in uh, girls' restrooms, among other things, and locker rooms. They received a record number of comments. Do you, and we're doing something similar here, or at least there's, there's some initiatives here that would be something similar to that. Um, where, if you know, does Governor DeWine stand on all of this? You know, uh, Peter, that's a, a real good question. I know where he stood back in May of uh, 2016. Um, there was a letter that he had generated to then President Obama and the Secretary of Education, uh, a gentleman by the name of King, and basically, this was uh, looking at doing the same thing. I mean, not as severely as what he's proposing regarding these t- new Title IX regulations, but he basically said that all schools were going to have to open up the, uh, the, the restrooms, lockers, showers, etc., from uh, you know to uh, biological boys who now have uh, felt they you know are uh, females. 
And um, he basically, uh, at that time, uh, Mike DeWine said, look, I will fight this vigorously. Now, as, as you know, Peter, we just had a vote that ended up, uh, we thought a vote was going to take place yesterday by the State Board of Education. They had testimony uh, that, was, uh, that ran for roughly four hours uh, a month ago. They had uh, another three to four hours of testimony. We had pastors. We had concerns parents. We had uh, two state reps, State Representative Gary Click and Reggie Stofus, uh, both testified in support of Brendan Shea's resolution. Lo and behold, where did the resolution go? They uh, referred it to uh, executive committee, and um, they kicked the can down the road, and ultimately it may get a hearing um, next month. Uh, we're, we're hoping that it does, and they ultimately will take a vote uh, on basically letting school districts throughout the state know that, look, we are not in support of uh, Joe Biden's administration's um, you know, edict as far as pushing uh, biological boys into the uh, locker rooms, restrooms, and uh, places where boys do not belong. Uh, John, if you know, um, why is it that they uh, kick the can down the road? I mean, this is something that's been percolating for a while. Um, in, in, In one way, it might be helpful to certain parents in Ohio so they can marshal their resources in opposition to um, the Title IX uh, proposal or anything similar to that in Ohio. But why was it uh, deferred? That, that's a good question. I, I firmly believe, Peter, that there are those on the board. Uh, we have roughly five members, uh, Brendan Shea being one who introduced this resolution along with four others. That are people that our organization, Ohio Value Voters, we work with, and uh, regarding, you know, parental rights and um, you know doing doing the right thing on behalf of children, keeping them safe from CRT, uh, comprehensive sex education, social emotional learning. I mean, th- these are and, and getting back to your comments earlier, uh, you know, they need to go back to the basics in the uh, in the schools. I firmly believe that there is a possibility, and I hope I'm wrong that once it reaches the executive committee, if the uh, woke left members that serve on this state board, you know, it's very possible that they could uh, amend this to the point where, you know, they insert even a poison pill that would, um, you know, force someone like the uh, author of this, being Brendan Shea, to uh, be in a position where he has to vote against it. I'm, I'm hoping that I'm wrong, but, you know, the, uh, there's a lot of speculation as to why this was referred to committee, uh, executive committee. It should have been voted upon. You know, these board members are uh, charged with the responsibility to keep uh, children safe. You know, in, in last year, as many of your listeners, Peter, will know, in Loudonville, um, Virginia, there was a, uh, a boy who decided to wear a skirt to school, claimed that he was now a female, went into a restroom, raped the girl. The superintendent of the school lied about it and uh, finally admitted, yes, it did happen. The father was arrested because he was complaining about it to the point uh, before the board, you know, why would something like this be permitted to happen? You know, we need to keep our, our uh, children, our females, our girls safe in the public schools here in the state of Ohio. Absolutely. And I remember two years ago, before this got um, national attention, uh, a parents group at Loudoun County got in touch with me and uh, told me about this. I was amazed 
even though I'm on the Civil Rights Commission, and we usually get a preview as to what the left is up to about five years in advance. But I was nonetheless amazed that they were actually putting it into practice. I immediately got in touch with, among others, Tucker Carlson, because I thought the public needs to know this kind of thing. Um, this is truly extraordinary what's going on. And although I think more and more parents are aware, and that's why you had the record. I mean, it was just a shattering record. They shattered the record to oblivion in terms of the number of comments that have ever been submitted on any federal rule or regulation. And there are hundreds of thousands, as you know. So this is something yeah. that struck a nerve. And whenever I see a committee of any kind defer something or table something right away, of course, your spidey senses alert. You know there's mischief afoot, and it augurs poorly for the proponents of that proposition. So um, if you know, John, I, I know you do tons of work on this, but is there a way that your average listener out here can register their opinion on this? Is there a way that they can submit comments or something like that? What, what can they do to voice their opinion as to whether or not boys should be in locker rooms and restrooms with girls, among other things? And that's, those are just two things that we have seized upon, but it would change wholesale the manner in which education and the separation of sexes or the treatment of sexes is, is uh, implemented in the state of Ohio. Well, you know, one of the things, uh, Peter, that, uh, you know, we've, we've had on the books here in the state of Ohio uh, was passed back in 1998-99, Ohio Revised Code 3313.60, Section G. 3313.60, wow. <laughs> Section G. That's pretty good, knowing that off the top of your head. That's great. Yes, and, and, and just to give you the specifics, basically it gives parents or legal guardians the right to go to the Board of Education, you know, because when you, when you look at it from a perspective, who works for the parents and legal guardians of children in the schools in the state of Ohio? It's the school board. The school board appoints the superintendent of all these districts in the state. There's a little over 600 districts total in the state of Ohio. So it's the Board of Education. So a parent or a legal guardian has the right to go to the board, and basically it's even better than a public records request. It basically it says promptly examine promptly examine with respect to a parent or guardian's own child, and it has to do with any survey or questionnaire, okay, prior to its administration, prior to its administration. And then, of course, they have the right to look at textbooks, software, video, and other material. And then uh, number three under Section G, it basically states, you know, any completed survey or questionnaire. You know, this is one of the things that parents are really concerned about in the state of Ohio that we hear from. And that is, you know, uh, they, they, the district is attempting to keep important information from me, from a parent, relative to a number of different issues, especially these when it comes to, you know, gender dysphoria. You know, they, uh, you know, you have, um, you know, educators working with Planned Parenthood, working with the Human Rights Campaign, working with these organizations. You know, I, I would normally refer to them as the uh, axis of evil. You know, throw in uh, the Ohio Education Association as well as these other two organizations, and they have nothing but one thing on their mind, and, and that is to indoctrinate children in the classroom. But parents have that right to uh, for the district. Now, as far as, you know, uh, others they need to contact, they need to contact their state legislators. There's, if we have time, uh, you know, there's some good pieces of legislation that's currently sitting in the uh, a number of House committees, um, you know, that's something else that they can, they can do is uh, urge the passage of this legislation. 
So, you know, it, it's a constant battle. And, you know, for them, for people to stay informed, your listeners can go to our organization's website, OhioValueVoters.org, OhioValueVoters.org, you know, sign up, and we'll provide you with the email alerts up to, uh, as relates to uh, pertinent, important things that are taking place, whether it's legislation, a state board meeting, et cetera. I think that's extremely valuable. Uh, I would encourage listeners to do that. Ohio Value Voters, one word, OhioValueVoters.org. Go there, or you can, you know, uh, donate also. There's a donate button at the website, so you can contribute, whatever it is, you know, a couple dollars, a couple hundred dollars, a couple thousand dollars for this all-important fight. All the money, as I understand it, John, goes toward the mission or the organization. Nobody gets any salaries. This is about fighting for our kids, which is important because we have seen a number of people on the left very blatantly. Kamala Harris just recently, about a week ago, talked about, you know, in one of her inane kind of elocutions, that the children of the community are the children of the community. We all laughed about that, but understand, the left believes the children belong to them and not to you. That sounds overheated. Okay. It, believe me, for somebody who's been on the Civil Rights Commission for more than two get, decades, that is their true and honest belief. It is not hyperbole, and it's what Lenin said hundreds a hundred years ago. He said, "You give me these kids <clears throat> for just uh, you know two generations, we will have them indoctrinated. Game over. We cannot allow yes. this to happen. These are our children. They don't belong to the public schools." And uh, let me back up a little bit. John, you may know this. Um, I understand that there is a proposal, uh, a House bill. I think it's 722. I think it's denominated as the Parents' Bill of Rights. Um, What would that require? Does it require that public schools do something in terms of notifying parents so parents aren't in the dark about what's going on in schools? Yes, you know, uh, that, I, I've spoken to uh, the uh, primary sponsor of that legislation, and that's uh, DJ, State Representative D.J. Swearingen. And, um, you know, he, uh, he's introduced a what I consider to be a good bill that we can build upon. Once again, getting back to Ohio Revised Code 3313.60 uh, and then also 3313.6011. Both of those are good bills as it relates to uh, parental rights. Um, you know, we need to also include such things as, uh, you know, as it relates to HIPAA. You know, we have uh, health records that uh, should be protected on, under HIPAA for, for children that other uh, individuals, um, you know, even school administrators don't have a right to have access to. You know, this is, uh, this is something else. But, no, this is a good bill. You know, unfortunately, uh, House Bill uh, 722 and some of the others, uh, Peter, you know, I, I've spoken to, uh, once again, uh, Representative Swearingen, and I I've firmly believe that uh, this is something that may have to be reintroduced in January. You know, for your listeners, every two years, uh, if legislation in, in this case is not passed by the end of December of this year, then it has to be reintroduced in January by the next assembly, next general assembly. And uh, that may be the case here in this, but this is a good bill and we need to build upon it. Great. Now, I think the very sophisticated, knowledgeable listeners of this show realize that we're inundated by what happens at the federal level, and that's very, very important, of course. But our news media is focused almost myopically on what happens federally, 
But, John, your organization understands that a lot of, if not most of the action, especially when it comes to issues of education, are state and local concerns, and that's where we need to concentrate much more of our efforts. It's a good thing we have organizations like yours that keep an eye on this, because I will tell you, many of us, you know, we've got other things to do. We can't follow these things as closely as we would like. And because of that, a lot of inane and, frankly, devious things happen under the radar and get implemented without our knowledge. And that's why I get a little nervous when I find out that good pieces of legislation or resolutions at the state board level get tabled. And then once they're tabled, they're kind of out of, they're, they're, they're not on our consciousness anymore. And the next thing you know, they disappear entirely and are supplanted by something from the left. Um, John, if you were to calculate um, or, or, or highlight for our listeners the one most important thing that we can do right now to protect the educational experience of our children in Ohio, what would it be? Yeah, Peter, what, uh, once again, in my opinion, I believe that parents need to be involved at the local level, uh, you know, attending their school board meetings uh, if, and, and, and going in and requesting to know specifically what their child is being taught, and um, they have the right. That that right exists today. Um, you know, I had a situation a couple of years ago where a mother in Rocky River School District contacted me and said, you know, I've requested this information. They won't provide it to me. What do I do? I said, look, copy or print out uh, the Ohio Revised Code 3313.60, point out Section G, your rights as a parent, and Go in and hand that to the school board president and basically say, look, you're in violation of the law. Um, this information I want to examine. As the state's here promptly, you need to provide it. And uh, within a couple of days, she had it. So, you know, this is something that parents can do. I, I would urge them to. And uh, for those of us that are grandparents now, I being one of them and my wife, I mean, we're, we're, we're fighting on behalf of uh, the grandchildren, our grandchildren as well. I mean, this is just a, it's a battle. It's a uh, an indoctrination battle. And, you know, this is just, when you come right down to it, Peter, this is just evil as to what is transpiring relative to children in schools. Some of the comprehensive sex education that they're being exposed to today, children, is just unbelievable. And um, it, it should not be happening. Yeah, you know, and that's not hyperbole. Maybe 10 years ago, most of us and many of us who may not have been or were frankly oblivious to the trajectory of this, which is very, very steep, would think it may be hyperbole to say it's evil, um, but not anymore. Uh, folks, this is serious, serious business. We're about to lose our future, about to lose our kids, in other words, because the kind of things that are occurring in the school level is nothing less than demonic. I say that advisedly. That's right. now, having said that, I'm not bes- you know, besmirching or smearing the tons of fine teachers and administrators out there, but there is a, an effort from very powerful sources, the educational establishment, uh, teachers' unions, etc., that are indoctrinating kids. That's not an exaggeration anymore. I would have you know, rolled my eyes if you had told me that 25, 30 years ago. That is not an exaggeration. If we do not pay close attention to what's going on, and get involved, we're going to lose this generation and most likely the subsequent generations because 
Lenin's prediction will have come true. John, can you hold? We're going to be going to break uh, in a moment, but I've got a couple more questions for you. Those who are currently on the line, please hold on the line because we'll be coming to you very shortly. This is Pete Kersenow substituting for Bob France on Always Right. with Bob France on The Answer. Good morning, Cleveland. James Brown substituting for Bob France on Always Right. We're at the top of the hour. We've been talking to John Stover of Ohio Value Voters about all manner of things related to education in the state of Ohio and the corruption of our kids. We're going to be going to Sally and Rick and Ralph and everybody else who's been holding for a very, very long time. Just going to have one more question for John Stover. He's got a busy schedule. Going to let him go, but it's an important question. It has to do with what's going on with our kids from a biological and medical standpoint. John, you've probably read or are familiar with Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage. Extraordinary yes. book, and she's an extraordinary writer. Aside from everything else, she's an amazing writer. But um, there, there are a lot of very troubling things going on in our schools, being promoted by our schools, encouraging children to so-called transition from one sex to another. Of course, that is a, an impossibility. It's almost as impossible as believing that a Supreme Court nominee would not know what a woman is. But nonetheless, this is what's going on. Is there anything that you're aware of in the state of Ohio pending legislatively, regulatorily, uh, you know, in, in terms of any kind of initiatives that would address this dynamic? Peter, we have a uh, bill, House Bill 454. Uh, the primary sponsor uh, on this bill is Representative Gary Click. And this bill prohibits uh, certain procedures as relates to altering a minor's sex. You know, hormone blockers, mutilation sh- surgery, you know, and this is this is an area that uh, you know our organization feels uh, we consider this to be extremely important. This legislation is extremely important. You know, the thing that is so frustrating, Peter, as far as people that that uh, I speak to throughout the state, and uh, it's it's unfortunate. But you know, if if we had a governor in the state of Ohio, like they have in Florida with um, their governor, you know, we would see Mike DeWine requesting certain pieces of legislation to protect children, to uh, parental rights, et cetera. He would demand this legislation be brought to his desk, but he sits on the sideline. You know, it's so frustrating. You know, when I talk to people, I say, you know, uh, I, I mentioned dinos 
And right away, someone says, well, Dino, what are you talking about? Is that, are you talking about Fred Flintstone's, uh, you know, pet uh, Tron, uh, Tronosaurus or what? what is that? I said, well, I said, you know what? All of us know what a, re- uh, a rhino is as it relates to Republicans. You don't find any dinos. You don't find any right. Democrats that will support these pieces of legislation because why they're ousted from the party. I mean, look what happened to former Congressman um, um, from Hawaii. Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi uh, Gabbard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she uh, you know, had to, had to leave the party. They're, they, uh, if, you know, you are ostracized. Here in Ohio and across the nation, I mean, you would expect Republicans, and we have a supermajority in the House and Senate here in the state of Ohio, and a Republican governor, you would expect this type of legislation, House Bill 454, to protect children from being exposed, and there would be criminal uh, penalties for doctors that perform this surgery. You know, so this is one of the uh, pieces of legislation. Unfortunately, I don't believe it's going to pass uh, this session. It's something that will have to be reintroduced. Uh, in January, and uh, we're going to uh, do everything we can to see to it that this is passed and uh, we protect children in the state of Ohio. Now, this is not a trivial matter. I mean, aside from the cultural issues, aside from uh, everything else related to this this issue, when if you take a look at, for example, Abigail Schreier's book and a lot of data, medical data on this, when a child transitions, this is something of extraordinary medical import, physiological import. There are vastly increased probabilities of suicide, psychiatric yes. morbidities. You know, we used to have it going through a tomboy phase or something of that nature. Somebody be, you know, think that they were boys when they were girls for a couple of years and then they would trans, then they become girls again. Um, or believe, you know, that they, they were, um, feminine again. But there's spikes in all kinds of diseases, liver dysfunction, coronary artery disease, cerebrovascular disease, breast cancer, uterine cancer, irreversible infertility. This is serious stuff. And they dress it up. If you see some of the advertisements for this, it appears like, you know, you're going to the playground. It's a a day at the beach. Um, And we don't have the seriousness, I think, from our many of our elected representatives that is mandated by this, it's it's truly extraordinary, John. What was the name of that bill again? That that um, you want Dewine to promote and sign, and then frankly, the rest of the House to sign. Yes. Well, the bill is right now in the House committee. It has to be voted out of the House committee. Goes over to the Senate. The committee there will hold hearings. Ultimately, this takes time, and then it goes to the governor. That's um, Peter House Bill four fifty four. It's referred to as the Safe Act. S A F E Act. House Bill 454, a uh, very, very important bill. And, uh, you know, certainly if the uh, General Assembly and the governor doesn't address it um, this session, we are going to uh, work diligently to see to it that it's passed next year. Yeah. Now, um, those of you who have heard me in presentations throughout uh, well, Northeast Isle and other places know that I have a kind of a a pet procedure that I encourage everybody to adopt because it's very simple. It's nothing profound, but it's effective. And that is get a 3 by 5 card or a piece of paper and place on that piece of paper the telephone number, address, and or email address for your appropriate or or pertinent elected representatives, whether it be councilman, mayor, uh, state representative, uh, governor, president, so that when you hear things like this on this show when you hear hb 454 is pending and no one is moving on it you can 
immediately pick up a phone or email or write your elected representative, the pertinent elected representative, and there's no deterrence because you're not scrambling around after Kirstenau's been on the radio saying, do this, do that, uh, you've got things to do, and you forget what, what the bill number is. You don't want to necessarily rummage around for the address or telephone number of your elected representative, but if it's right there, it's less of an impediment to register your opposition or support for a particular proposition, and believe me, it really works. As some of you have heard me say before, I have been in the congressional offices when certain hot-button issues are being considered and the phones ring off the hook and they have a demonstrable effect on the outcome of that particular piece of legislation. John, John Stover of the Ohio Value Voters, an imperative organization to support OhioValueVoters.org, OhioValueVoters, one word, dot org, or you can write them at P.O. Box 29502, Cleveland, Ohio. Any donations that you make, 100% go toward the mission of the organization. It's an imperative mission. I urge you to support it because, as Larry Elder likes to say, we've got a country to save. John, thank you so much for all your hard work. Keep up the good work. We're going to be supporting you in every way we can. Yes, well, thank you, Peter, and thank you for uh, your voice, and thank you for all the work you do as well. Thanks it's, very much. Uh, it's certainly, you know, it, it, it's certainly a pleasure working with you on some of these important issues. Okay. Um, John, thanks very much. Sally, uh, Rick, and Ralph, hold on. At the opposite end of this break, we're going to be getting to you, and then we've still got lots of time in the show. So for any other callers, Please feel free to call in. We've got a couple of people on hold. We're going to address that, and we're going to rock and roll. Good morning, Cleveland. Pete Kersenow substituting for Bob France on Always Right and Engineer John playing the best music, best bumper music in the world. Let's go to somebody who's been holding interminably, Sally in Berea. Sally, how are you? Are you there? I'm good, Pete. Um, I can't say I'm surprised, but I, I'm actually outraged that uh, the shade resolution was not voted upon I've been concerned for quite some time regarding educational curriculum. I believe it was this spring that Mark Levin referred to a proposed national course for action civics with funding attached. Now, I am certainly in favor of civics being taught to our future voters and leaders, but I want it directed from local school boards with input from parents and concerned residents. Local control of education in our elections is crucial to the survival of our republic. Perhaps the idea was tabled due to the outcry from parents at school board meetings. But I appreciate your timely updates, and I'm just worried a lot of questionable things could be pushed through um, between November and January. And I thank you for all you do to help us take a stand. I really appreciate it. Thanks. 
thanks to you and everybody who's vigilant about these things. Remember, we do have control over these things, and you point out something imperative, and that is, as I said at the before the break, it, we are very often focused on what happens on a national scale, but much of the real action happens at the local and state levels, and especially when it comes to education. Now, the left likes to federalize everything, but when they do that, they remove from us the ability to manage what's going on right outside our back door. We've got to constantly be vigilant about this stuff and not merely be vigilant. Get involved, get in people's faces figuratively, not literally, but be adamant about things. If your instinct tells you that something wrong is happening, make a complete nuisance of yourself. Please do that. And with everybody who has their hands on the mechanisms that could control the outcome of that particular issue. It could be the mayor. It could be the governor. It could be a state rep. But make their lives miserable if they're simply sitting back on their haunches or if they're not doing what they say they're going to do. If they want to take the mantle of being an elected representative, act like one. You should deserve the votes and earn the votes of your constituency. Don't just sit there and then you may get some money from some particular organization for campaign financing and then do their bidding. No way, no more. We are an energized and alert populace out here, conservative populace. As they said in the movie Network, mad as H-E-L-L and not going to take it anymore. Sally, thanks so much for your call. Everybody, please take what Sally said to heart. We need to be vigilant here. We need to contact our elected representatives. Do it. Make a pest of yourself, please. Let's go to Rick in Mayfield Heights. Rick, how are you? Rick, you still there? Not, looks like Rick may have dropped. Let's go to Ralph. Ralph, are you there? Yeah, how are you? Good, Ralph. Hey, uh, the U.S. oil reserves, is the uh, military connected to that, or do they have their own supply? That I don't know, and I should take a look at that. My understanding is it's for domestic consumption. I would be shocked if it didn't have a significant military component because it's called the strategic oil reserve. I have to suspect that there is... Uh, a separate supply or that there's reservation made for military use. There has to be, obviously. But my recollection was when the Strategic Oil Reserve was first implemented, the ostensible reason, therefore, remember the Carter administration, again, a Democratic administration screwed things up badly when it came to oil, was to make sure that we weren't in uh, a crisis, both domestically and militarily, related to uh, shortages of oil. If we don't have sufficient oil, of course, we, our fighting forces, are in bad shape. So to answer your question, I don't know the specifics of it. I would have to think that if push comes to shove, military gets first dibs on the strategic oil reserve. It simply makes sense. But I don't know if there's a legislative prerogative afforded to the military. Uh, I do know that it is something that is kind of a rainy day fund in case of catastrophes, whether it be, you know, hurricanes or floods that uh, require a huge infusion of uh, fuels in order to do rescue efforts and so on and so forth. So i got to believe it's both, Ralph. I ho- I, I'm sorry I don't have the specific answer for that, but that's my best guess. Do you know where I would look for that? Uh, where you would look for it? Well, I, I suppose you could go online, 
plug in strategic oil reserve, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Wikipedia probably has something that's marginally accurate that would probably give you the answer to that question. I'm fairly certain that there has to be a military component or military gets first dibs on that. Ralph, thanks very much for your question. Let's go. Rick is back again. Rick, let's go to Rick in Mayfield Heights. Yeah, hopefully we can stay connected this time. Rick, what's on your mind? It's a little bit off the current topic. There's a question uh, I have read, and President Trump did make reference to it at his latest rally, that the so-called Clinton stock drawer case would preclude any prosecution for him taking the records that he took with him to Mar-a-Lago. The summary was that when a president decides this is his personal stuff, it overrides the bureaucrats, the National Archives, saying, no, we want it. The president, this is, Rick, good question, and I will tell you that um, just kind of a 50,000 or 30,000 foot view of this, and it's going to be litigated and litigated and litigated, not because Mayor Garland really thinks there's an issue here, but because they're doing this for political imperative. There's absolutely no doubt about that, and that's simply not being a right-wing crank saying that. There's no other way of putting it. The fact of the matter is, the president is the executive of the United States of America. He answers to nobody else in the executive, other than for law enforcement purposes, of course. Uh, he can't you know, be violating the law with impunity. But with respect to designating documents as secret, top secret, whatever it may be, he's the one who does it. He has, doesn't have to check in with a librarian. Are you kidding me? Look at the articles of the Constitution. You've got Article 1, which is the legislative branch, Article 2, which is the executive. In there, it talks about a president. It doesn't talk about librarians. It doesn't talk about Merrick Garland. It doesn't talk about anybody else. He's the one who designates that document. And as he said, kind of facetiously, but it's actually the, the case, if he thinks about it being um, uh, covered by uh, you know, a top secret de- designation or declassifying it. That's what it is. He doesn't have to wave a magic wand. He doesn't have to check with anybody. He doesn't have to sign anything. It is deemed declassified. It's going to be litigated for the next who knows how long because unfortunately our politicized justice system under Merrick Garland, who by the way, I've argued before when he was on the DC circuit and I thought he was splendid, but my goodness, me, either my judgments off or maybe when he goes from being a judge to a, um, Attorney General, something happens, something magic happens. But we are getting close to the bottom of the hour. We're going to have J. Christian Adams at the bottom of the hour. But let's go very quickly. Rick, very, thanks very much for your call. Let's go very quickly to John and Sharon because I don't want to miss anybody. John, hey, you there? Um, yes, yes, I am. Um, wanted to call to people's attention, people, uh, guys running for the State Board of Education. They don't list them Republican or Democrat, but John P. Hagan, is definitely a Republican. He's got his own heating plumbing business. He was magna cum laude in his class. And um, the other guy's an educa- a retired educator, you know, so you know he's a dem- Democrat. Wanted to call that to people's attention. And I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to compare exercise regimes with you. <laughs> <laughs> Bench press 225 pounds 18 times on Saturday. Oh, my God. Well, see, I'm 87 years old, so that's out of my ballpark. But 
the the coach here in Charlotte is a friend of mine. We served on city council together and became friends. And he set me up on a program that's ever escalating. You start out with lighter weights and you go to heavier weights and more more reps and so on. And finally, you work yourself up to the, the, the max that you can do. So. Anyway, I don't know how that compares with, with what your deal is. But. What we're going to do is, John, uh, if we have time at the end of the show or if Bob has another complete lapse in judgment, and I guess toast again, we'll talk a little bit. So you're, you're, this is the love of my life is work, work out, workout regiments, and you know the Browns need to have me for one play, <laughs> one play. But we can talk about workout regimens. I've got a, I kind of what I call my modified Navy SEAL program. Uh, but we can talk about that. It's a lot of fun. But, John, thanks so much for your call. This is Pete Personnel sitting in for Bob France. Another lapse in judgment on his part by having me sit in here. I looked outside the window. FBI hostage rescue team is not out there, so I'm in the clear for now. At the other end of this break, we're going to go to J. Christian Adams and talk about election integrity. Yes, I'm an election denier, FBI. Come and get me, copper. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Good morning again, Cleveland. Pete Chris now sitting in for Bob France on Always Right. Well, of course, we've got an election coming up very shortly. Midterm elections, all important. And we know that we've had several issues with respect to the elections over the years. We have with us Jay Christian Adams, who's by far the premier election expert in the country. It was important to have him on. He's a former member of DOJ's voting section in the Civil Rights Division. He is my colleague on the Civil Rights Division. I'm sorry, the Civil Rights Commission. He's smart, tough, fast on the street, doesn't suffer fools gladly, and that's why I'm glad we have him. Now, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in elections right now, as we know. Um, Christian's been litigating them, and most notably, we've got one in Biden's home state of Delaware. Christian, how are you? Hey, thanks, Pete, for that introduction. Oh, no worries whatsoever. It's probably understated. Christian, my understanding is uh, I was just kind of looking through daily labor, uh, I'm sorry, daily legal reports, and I happened upon, and I don't watch this as you do because this is your bailiwick, not mine, I saw that there was an outstanding outcome before the Delaware Supreme Court of all places relating to, among other things, a serious voting integrity issue dealing with purging voter rolls and also mail ballot elections. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think you were principally involved. You're the chief litigator. Right. Well, the case is uh, indeed in Delaware. My organization, the Public Interest Legal Foundation, represented an election official uh, who says, hey, you can't have all-mail voting in Delaware because the Constitution of Delaware doesn't allow. Wait, wait. What's that. a constitution? I'm, is is that something to do with your bowel movements or something? Well, let let me answer your question, not being sarcastic, and because I, I totally appreciate the sarcasm on this. The constitution is the the law of the land in Delaware. It's the will of the people, Pete. It's the 
the ultimate expression of what the people say their government can and cannot do. It's a democratic document that limits the power of government, and it says you can't have mail voting, you can't have same-day voter registration, in other words, just walk up to the polls and vote. You have to prove people are who they say they are ahead of the election, in other words, voter registration, like most every place has. And all of a sudden, Delaware's legislature said, who cares about the law? We're going to pass mail voting and same-day registration. The Speaker of the House, Pete, even made a joke while they were passing it, saying this probably isn't constitutional, but oh well. So we sued, and we sought an injunction against it, and we won at the trial court, and the Supreme Court of Delaware uh, gave us a victory and affirmed it. And there's nowhere left for the lawbreakers to go. It's the end of the road. They have to follow the law. Christian, can you tell our audience what you perceive to be some of the issues related to having same... We understand the constitutional issue, and that's a big deal. From a practical right. standpoint, though, same-day res- uh, uh, registration has its own issues, doesn't it? Yeah, same-day registration is a primitive form of running an American election like they used in Tammany Hall in, in the 1800s, where mobs would just go to the polls without a secret ballot. That's probably what they'll try to get rid of next. And they would just flip polls and say, I'm here to vote. And, say, and voter registration was one of the reforms enacted in the early part of the 20th century where you can get things in order ahead of time, that it's you know, not roving mobs that go from precinct to precinct voting. You register where you live. Your, your uh, ability, your right to vote is verified ahead of time, sometimes only 15 or 30 days, but at least it's verified ahead of time. And then you go in an orderly fashion to vote in the poll where you live. And so this is a reform, kind of like penicillin or using soap to wash your hands uh, or any of the other 20th century advancements that we made. And that must be why the left hates it. And they are trying to get rid of registration. And they just have uh, same day where you just walk up and vote. And, and you can't verify people, Pete. That's the problem. And that's how Norm Coleman lost the Minnesota Senate election to Al Franken, because Minnesota has same-day registration. And as it turns out, 1,200 ineligible felons, people who were not permitted to vote in that election, did vote, and they voted for Al Franken. And so same-day registration leads to election crimes, and that's why it's a bad idea. Christian, uh, I want you to look out your window to see if the FBI has appeared, because it sounds like you may be an election denier, and um, I may have to report you. I'm not sure. Let's talk right. a little bit about the problems inherent in mail ballot elections. Not absentee ballot, oh. but the kind of mail ballot elections that proliferated throughout the United States at the advent of the pandemic. What are some of the problems inherent in mail ballot election as you see it? Think of the name... I'm going to give you a name, Susie Woods. Susie Woods was a witness in a case when I was with the Justice Department that we brought in Mississippi. And in Mississippi, notaries, notary publics, would follow the mail truck and snatch ballots out of mailboxes and knock on the door of the people that they knew. Remember, there's a power dynamic here. And they would say, hi, Susie, I'm here to vote to help you vote. And the, and the ballot would be voted by the notary, not by the voter, inside Susie Wood's kitchen. And 
on the witness stand, Pete, in a federal court trial in the Southern District of Mississippi, when presenting this witness, the judge, Judge Tom Lee, said, Miss Wood, I got to ask you a question. Can you read or write? She said, yes. And the judge said, this is a federal judge, not a magistrate, a U.S. District Court judge, said, well, then why on earth would you allow this other person to vote your ballot? And the answer, and I could send you the transcript from the trial, she always knows the best person to vote for. And so take that one case that I provided about Susie Wood in Mississippi and multiply it by tens of thousands of other power plays across the country, whether in the Rio Grande Valley or in the Bronx or in this case in in Black Belt, Mississippi, uh, people lose their right to vote because of mail voting. Not to mention, by the way, the post office loses your ballots. They have a, 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 a goal of 94% success. That's 6% failure, Pete. We don't want the post office deciding our election. Mainly because most elections are decided by one or two points, so that could really decide an election. Why is it progressives are always concerned about they're, they're opposed to almost everything related to electoral hygiene, mail ballot elections, voter ID, so on and so forth, and they call it, the argument for it is that it is racist or has a racially disparate impact. What, if any, validity is there to that claim? Yeah, it, it, it's such a disgusting, uh, disgusting idea that certain races are unable to get ID. Uh, it, it's just not true. And in fact, uh, one of the phenomena that we've seen in the last five years is every state that enacts some sort of uh, safeguard of the election, whether it's voter ID, whether it's uh, a variety of things, we see turnout actually increase among African-Americans. The turnout rates go up when these so-called Jim Crow uh, uh, procedures are in place. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for that. Maybe uh, voter ID is actually pretty doggone popular among black voters, which we know to be true because we've seen the polling data. That's the other lie. The only people who oppose voter ID are white liberals, uh, black citizens, Democrats, Hispanics, whites, Republicans, and Democrats all poll majority favor of voter ID. The only group that doesn't are elite white liberals. That's it. Yeah, and we had that uh, on display at the Civil Rights Commission before you joined. I recall mm-hmm. a hearing we had back during the Mary Frances Berry regime in the early 2000s where it was on voter ID, and, of course, the left said, oh, it's racist and all this other stuff. We had a panel of witnesses, and, of course, the um, very patronizing white Liberal lawyers were saying, oh, my goodness, has a disparate impact on blacks. Blacks can't find voter ID, you know, because they're too stupid. Uh, and then there was this uh, elderly black lady on the panel, and I asked her, do you have voter ID or some form of identification? She said, well, let me check. She looked in her purse, and she said, pulling out one form of identification after another. One, you know, because the, the, the thing is, what we found is there's a higher probability of blacks having the type of ID that would satisfy certain requirements because, unfortunately, blacks access government programs at a higher rate. It is the most patronizing statement to say it is racist or racially discriminatory. If it discriminates against anybody in terms of the amount of voter ID someone would have or the quality thereof, it would be on white voters. So we dismiss that out of hand. And folks out there, if you hear that, I know these listeners are sophisticated enough to understand this, it is another another red herring to try to impose on the voting system all kinds of mechanisms that allow for cheating. Christian, in the election coming up, 
midterm elections, everybody considers it to be, of course, the most important election of all time. And in this case, in some respects, it is extraordinarily important, if not the most important election. What is your biggest concern in terms of election integrity? Well, uh, number one, the use of mail ballots, like I just described, in places like Nevada, for example, where there's an incredibly important close center race, they've gone to all mail. And I did a video, if you Google PILF, P-I-L-F, uh, Nevada video mail, you'll see this video where we went to all the places being mailed ballots, like abandoned mines, uh, uh, liquor stores, head shops, uh, uh, post offices, uh, casinos. Uh, their mail ballots are being sent to casinos. And we documented the problem with mail voting is the, the voter rolls are bad, plus mail voting equals disaster. And I'm very worried about that in Nevada. I'm also worried in Wisconsin and Detroit and Michigan about the private funding of elections. That's something we could do a whole other show about. Right, Zuckerberg About these third parties, Zuckerberg, right. So I'm still worried about that. Some 21 states banned it after 2020, including Pennsylvania. But Michigan and Wisconsin, it's still allowed to, what I call a bribe. You know, when you give a government official cash, to do what you want them to do. In the old days, that was that was called a bribe, right? And that was Tony Soprano's business model. But apparently <laughs> it's perfectly okay uh, in Wisconsin and Michigan to do that to election officials. Yeah. Um, one of my frustrations is it seems that the Republicans always are behind Democrats when it comes to voting issues and redistricting and poll observers and poll workers. Um, I live in the on the east side of Cleveland, which is an all-black neighborhood, and every time I go there, you know, there are... 55,000 Democratic poll workers, and, you know, you, you have to struggle to find a lone Republican. It, one of the things I see more and more, though, is that we are kind of migrating toward this election over a period of several weeks, if not months, as opposed to having a single election day. Do you have an opinion as to the... Oh, I'm trying to think the the preference. Well, do you have a preference as to how elections should be conducted? If not over just on just one day, is it better to have a finite period of time or say, like, look at Pennsylvania, elections already occurring, and yet there hasn't hasn't even been a debate. Um, what's your opinion with respect to this rolling kind of period of filing or uh, voting uh, before an election day, specific election day? First of all, ro- having an extended election day, uh, number one, increases polarization in the country because it rewards the people who have their minds stubbornly made up. You just go and vote and get it over with. Mm-hmm. Secondly, Pete, it gets rid of one of the last shared experiences of an American uh, a citizen, and that's standing in line on Election Day with their fellow citizens to vote. Now, some might chuckle at that as, as quaint old-fashioned, but how many other shared experiences do we have now other than maybe people being at each other's throats? Right. Right. And and I think there's a certain civic value to everybody coming together on one day to vote uh, and having to be with each other, even if you disagree. And and of course, early voting gets rid of that, doesn't it? It's like, oh, we don't really have have lines are evil, Um, but it increases polarization and makes it more expensive. I wrote a piece at The Washington Times called Eight Reasons to Oppose Early Voting. So I'll let other uh, listeners find the other uh, five. Good. I'd refer everybody to that piece. Is there a particular election, a particular jurisdiction that concerns you more than others, perhaps, when it comes to voting integrity? 
Well, I mean, you know, you take states like, uh, like I said, California is just a poster child for disaster. I mean, I don't, I don't even worry about the place anymore because it's, it, it's beyond hope. It's, you know, it's the terminal, it's the terminal patient that is so far gone. It's not funny, but the problem is California is contagious and all of the bad ideas that have made California a disaster are now being exported, uh, around the country. Um, you know, whether it's corrupted voter rolls, failure to follow federal law and cleaning voter rolls for 15 years, whether it's same day registration, whether it's mail voting, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, you name it, California has done it and it's always bad. And what's happening is it's now in Oregon and, and Washington and, and, and New York is a mess and Michigan's a mess. We have a lawsuit in Michigan because we have 25,000 dead people that we've identified by name. Uh, still on the voter rolls. Some have been there for two decades, and the Secretary of State refuses to do anything about it. So uh, Michigan concerns me greatly. We had a hearing on the Civil Rights Commission about the purging of voter rolls, and of course the progressives maintained that it's not an issue. Uh, And you just mentioned Michigan, which was a um, prime locus of inquiry related to the last election and whether or not the the people on the voting rolls were live or dead. Do you have a... um, an opinion as to what the integrity of the upcoming election is going to be like? Well, there's always problems. And, and you know, bad voter rolls are not that much of a problem unless you go to all-mail auto-mail, right? It, it, I mean, they're not good. You don't want bad voter rolls. But at least if you have on-site polling, you know, go to a, a place to vote, it, it doesn't it doesn't become quite as bad. But in places like Nevada, like I said, uh, with a huge important Senate race and they flip control of the Senate, you've got an all-mail election where the election officials are mailing everything out without even being asked to voter rolls that are a complete mess. And, and that concerns me greatly. If there was one thing that you could advise an ordinary citizen to do to exercise a civic responsibility related to voting, maybe on voting day, or maybe it's just how he comports himself and makes sure that his ballot is properly cast. What, what, would, what one thing would you point to? No, make sure you're not registered where you last lived. That's the easiest one. Uh, because, uh, because then ballots will, in some, some states, ballots will be mailed uh, to that address uh, without anyone even asking. So, the easiest thing to do is make sure you're not still registered to vote where you used to live. Call up the county election office, or if it's the Northeast, call up the township election office, like, you know, Massachusetts and stuff, and say, I want to make sure I'm not on the rolls. Um, that's the easiest thing to do, uh, frankly. Great. Christian, thanks very much. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us, and congratulations on your big win in Delaware. Hope to be talking to you again in the near future. You've got a lot to do and a lot to say about the elections, and let's just hope that it goes the right way in the coming up, upcoming midterms and every election that, that transpires. Christian, thanks very much. Take care, Pete. Bye-bye. All right, folks. We are going to be going to break, and then when we come back, I want to take your calls. Please Call in. We're going to be talking about anything you want to talk about. I've already articulated the ones that really interested me. There's all manner of issues out there, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, critical race theory or the upcoming election or the FBI or trans policy. You name it. We'll talk about it. Call in. You got the number. Uh, Well, let me repeat it. Let me repeat the number. 216 
901-0945-216-901-0945. Call in. Let's rock. This is Pete Curson now sitting in for Bob France on Always Right 1420. Again, good morning, Cleveland. Pete Kirsten out singing for Bob France on Always Right. We've got a number of people holding. Let's go first to John in Cleveland. John, are you there? Hello. Can you hear me? Good morning. Good morning. Okay. The, uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, Republican Party in our area, Cuyahoga County. And it's very, very disappointing. I've called all three of the quote-unquote executives and none of them called me back. I tried to leave a voicemail initially just in their general mailbox. It was filled and they couldn't take any call. They couldn't take any more messages. Called a few days later and it was still the same thing. And lastly, uh, it seems to be impossible, at least right now, it seems to be impossible or, or difficult to get a JD van sign for my yard. Uh, it, uh, I had to go through an, another person who was able to get me a, um, Lee Weingarten sign, but uh, a sign for um, J.D. Vance, as well as for Max Miller, who I really like. Uh, I, I haven't been able to uh, to get it, and uh, I'm laying that at the feet of the Republican Party. Maybe that's wrong, but that's what I wanted to share. Okay, thanks very much. Appreciate it, John. Uh, those are important things. Hey, Republican Party, you can't simply have the right ideas. you got to put it in practice from a ministerial perspective. you got to win elections. And what John just described means you lose votes. Even if you've written off Cuyahoga County, because it is in the bag for Democrats, we need votes from statewide perspective, and we need competence in terms of the administrative application of electoral integrity, as Christian Adams described. We are going to be going, unfortunately, we're at the top of the hour, but we have another 45 minutes to talk. Take all of your calls. Barb, hold on. Tom, hold on. Jackie, hold on. Everybody, hold on. We're going to get to your calls right after the top of the break. Pete Kirsten out for Bob France on 1420, The Authority. No, it's no longer The Authority. It's always right. i got to get my act together here. You're made out of gold and can't be so. Have you ever been experienced? Well, I have. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. Good morning again, Cleveland. This is Pete Chris now sitting in for Bob France on Always Right. Kudos once again to Engineer John for the best bumper music imaginable. We've heard from Jimi Hendrix, James Brown, the Chambers Brothers, and Sly and the Family Stone. If you're a person of a certain age, you know we are rocking big time. Any age, frankly, the music that or what passes for music today is really weak. And oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. You can't get excited about this. So, For the next 40 minutes, we're going to go to your calls. I've got a few things to say, too, about the election and the importance thereof and certain things to look out for. But we're going to go in order. Hold on. 
first is Barb, who's been holding along. Is Barb? How are you? Hey, good morning. I'm great. I just had breakfast with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, my question is the same one that I, or my comment is the same one that I spoke with Mr. Kelly about on Sunday. And that has to do with Cuyahoga County, the wonderful Cuyahoga County that some elected genius decided that they were going to make it possible for any employee of Cuyahoga County to, if they needed a medical uh, whatever problem solved that wasn't able to be done here in Ohio, and we all know that's the abortion word, uh, that they would pay, they would cover their travel their stay, their procedure, and everything. Now, why would Cuyahoga County say they would do it when it's really the residents of Cuyahoga County that are going to be covering it? Right. What they're doing is dragooning the population into doing something that is against their most closely held beliefs, religious or otherwise beliefs, Correct. Um, by doing something like that. For example, why don't they pay for uh, medical tourism with respect to, and I don't mean to say medical tourism in an offhanded fashion, but if they're going to be paying for this particular procedure, why not for somebody who's suffering from cancer? Uh, Correct. You know, to go to, say, the Mayo Clinic as opposed mm-hmm. to some other place. Now, of course, there, there's a difference in terms of the availability of such things. But nonetheless, um, nobody consulted with us on this. This is something of enormous concern to a lot of folks. We know that this is a deeply held issue on the part of a lot of folks, whether it be on the pro-life or pro-abortion side of it. And for the elected officials to weigh in on this, we didn't vote for this. There's been no, no. referendum whatsoever. I think it's an abomination uh, my, myself when these kinds of things happen. But you've got entire states now that are claiming that they are safe spaces or safe havens for this kind of procedure. And on top of that, California, of course, you've got this guy who purports to be governor there who has prohibited, for example, state employees from going to certain locations or certain states on business, state business, where those states have passed certain legislation that may be pro-life legislation. Well, that's because he's related to Pelosi. That's where he gets that power from. Well, some of these folks think they've got unlimited power. They like to act as dictators. But, you know, frankly, folks, the reason why we have these elections and the reason why it's imperative that we remain vigilant, the reason I had Christian Adams on is because we want to make sure that we count the votes the correct way and that we all go out there to vote is so that we have a country to preserve. Um I don't mean to dwell on this ad infinitum, but and I don't mean to use the trite phrase of this is the most important election of our lifetime. Almost every election is, but we are at a tipping point. And by that, when you have to understand that when you have got a, got a country that's more than 200 years old, a tipping point could last for an entire decade or more. But right, we've been right. at or near this tipping point for at least a decade. And I don't know if we're still at the apex of the tipping point or whether maybe we're already on the downside of that tipping point. I'm hopeful that we're not at the downside, but it's going to require a Herculean effort on the part of every single person in this office to make sure the America that we know and love, the America we grow up with, is preserved under all costs because it's and under incredible assault. Yep. Yes, it right. is. Very, now, yeah, go ahead. One one final question on this Cuyahoga County thing. With, if Is this, uh, I would assume that, Everybody got a. They said everybody got a letter, uh, or they were notified on the 28th of September that this was going to be the, the the new way to handle this uh, situation. Um, how how is it possible to to not pay our taxes in full without being severely penalized if this is yeah, in fact going through? There, there really is no way of doing that. 
I would encourage everybody to continue to do your civic duty. I don't like paying taxes. None of us does. And we also think that our taxes are being utilized in ways that we don't approve of. But we have a ballot box to deal with that. Well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that Weingart gets through. I mean, I don't think that he'd be pulling off any of the stuff that we've got down there right now. It is important for us, I've said this on Bob's show before, Bob, Barb, that um, I used to vote for certain discrete Democrats here and there when I thought that, you know, they may be good or I knew them or I liked them, may have uh, grown up with them or gone to school with them. I don't do so anymore because, unfortunately, they're part of what I call the Borg. And, it's a policy that they yeah, have. Yeah, so, yep. um, Barb, thanks very well, much for your call. I need well, to go some I'm others. Hope- We've got some others holding, but go ahead, finish your thought. Okay, no, I'm just hoping that enough of this information gets out that people will start to call up and rebel about it because it's just, it's one of those situations that you can only say, it's just not right. Yeah, I'm all for rebellion uh, and even insurrection from time to time, although I I have yet to see an insurrection despite the media and the Democrats, but I repeat myself, constantly talking about it. Let's go to Tom is next. Tom, what's on your mind? Um, I want to I want to ask you a quick question about voting machines, the Eric voter roll janitor system, and um, Ohio mailing out applications to get an absentee ballot. Boy, I, Tom, I'm sorry. It. I wish you would have called, or I wish I would have known you had this question when when Christian was on. This is not my area of expertise. I mean, I know enough to be dangerous because I'm on the Civil Rights Commission. It's one of our issues. But what you're talking about, I always like to be precise. Everybody who knows me knows that. Before I give any kind of an answer, I want to know precisely what it is and what the law says. Go ahead. Ask your question. I'll see if I can address it. Okay. Well, well you, you've heard of that Eric voter roll system, haven't you? Uh, not really, no. Oh, it's it, Eric, there's this, I don't know what you call it when each letter stands for something. Over 30 states uses that system, and it was a Soros-funded thing where they're the, they're the voter yes. roll janitors yes. for over 30 states. Right. Yeah. And that, and that and our and our voter roll is dirty. And, like, he, he, he talked about going around seeing these. Didn't he talk about going around yeah, looking I, to find these? Right. And, and I am somewhat familiar with that. I apologize. I am somewhat familiar with that. And the fact of the matter is, we have an election process in this country that, to some extent, has been hijacked by certain very moneyed interests, and the Republicans have been asleep at the switch, um, as very often they are. Now, I, I look, I don't mean to talk about Republicans in a pejorative fashion constantly, but we've got to up our game, folks. Uh, this is something that the integrity, not just of voting, but the integrity of the United States depends on. So, uh, you know, I, I look, Tom, you're exactly right. We have to make sure that the processes are not in the hands of certain political actors and or folks who've got moneyed interests, who've got the ability to shape the procedures and affect the procedures because we're not watching. Jay Christian Adams talked about the all of the different things that Democrats do to try to gain an advantage by manipulating the processes, and Republicans are always playing catch-up. So, Tom, thanks very much for your call. We've got a lot of other people holding. Let's go to next is... Jackie in Independence. Peter, I am so glad you're hosting today because I greatly value your opinion and I want to know what you think about voting for or not voting for DeWine for governor this election. Yeah. Um, I know Bob feels that he's probably not going to vote for DeWine, but I think that just sends a message that the Democrats are getting control of this state and they may influence and And he thinks that you can influence the Democrat better with the people in Columbus to do the right thing. 
but then why can't you do that with DeWine? Yeah. I mean, I don't understand the difference. Yeah. And I just think it sends a really bad message to give the Democrats a win in the governorship. The Democrats will not win the governorship, but I agree with your sentiment, Jackie. I, I don't agree with Bob on this. Bob, strangely enough, Bob, and I don't agree on everything. But uh, I understand what Bob said, and we had this discussion back on uh, Tuesday. Bob, because of the fact that DeWine is likely going to be a shoe and he's leading by 20 points or something like that, he's not going to vote for him. It's kind of a protest vote. I don't want to speak for Bob in that regard, but that's how I characterize it. And you can, sure. you can indulge yourself in that fashion. I tend to think you're right. I tend to think I'd want to see an overwhelming number of votes from DeWine. He is, look... Would I prefer to have a DeSantis? <laughs> I think almost everybody listening to this show would. Okay, but you know that's not the way life is. Uh, but I think we have to let people know that we are conservatives. We are people who are concerned about the nation. We are patriots, and we think that the Democratic Party is the Borg. It's gone off the rails, and by not voting or by casting a protest vote for a Democrat, for example, that just sends the wrong message. We've got to be firm in this regard. Now, we don't want to reward bad behavior, and I think that's what Bob is saying. And there are other mechanisms by which you can do that. But I do think what we have to do is show very strongly where we stand from an electoral perspective. Jackie, thanks so much for, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Did you have another comment? No, I was just going to say, but, but if we can, if we can control, if a Democrat got in there for governor and he, and people think we can control them with the Ohio, with the legislature in Columbus, then why can't we do the same if DeWine gets in? Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Jackie, thanks so much for your call. Uh, let's go to Dakota next. Hey, hey, Peter. Uh, I just want to say that, you know, I was at the uh, State Board of Education meeting yesterday, um, and, and it was clearly amazing to me that the number of opponent testimony came from professors, social workers, um, people with liberal arts degrees that are studying at Ohio State. You know, how much, you know, these professions are uh, opposed to, you know, common sense education um, and just really wanted to get your thoughts on why these people in these professions are so opposed to parents' rights uh, and, and to grooming against uh, their, their for grooming kids. Yeah, uh, great question. I wish we had an hour to talk about because I've got a lot to say about it. Let me just give you kind of my uh, uh, two-minute thing on that. I do think that certain professions have a propensity to attract to such profession a certain type of individual, uh, for good or bad. I, I'm not saying that, you know, these types of professions are attracting bad individuals. They're very nice individuals. They're smart individuals. But, you know, if you, for example, are looking for, um, if you look at Navy SEALs or Delta Force as an example, highly unlikely you're going to find a whole lot of progressives there. All right. On the other hand, when you go into education, Almost universally, there are people of the left. Maybe not hard left, although there are a lot of hard leftists there, but that's just it. We could have a long discussion as to the philosophical reasons why that dynamic prevails, but it is, in truth, what prevails. And it changes a little bit, can change over time, because if if you go into schools, law schools, medical schools, sometimes those schools, those professions, generally over time, turn left. As William F. Buckley said, any organization or group that is not avowedly on the right or conservative becomes left over time, and that occurs with everybody. When you see at the State Board of Education, uh, they, they are organized down there. The left is organized. The rest of us 
uh, you and me, Dakota, we've got work to do. We've got families to raise. We've got lawns to mow. You know, we, we do real things, but they are in professions very often that have a little bit more free time and they mobilize much more than we do. Uh, and we want to be left alone. They don't. They don't want to be left alone. They want to get in our faces all the time. And so yeah. they are organized. They go down there. It happens all the time. You go to the Civil Rights Commission, and when we are looking for witnesses, people on the left, regardless of what the issue is, are popping out of the woodwork to testify. And they're all affiliated with some organization. You've never heard of some of these organizations, but they all have organizations. They all have money. Whereas on the right, it's not always the case but 80 to 90% of the witnesses who you would consider to be right of center are individuals, concerned individuals. They're not affiliated with any organization. They're just people who they're experts on something and they can testify about something, but they haven't joined any type of group. Again, going to Buckley's rule. So um, when you go down to the State Board of Education, no surprise that the overwhelming number of witnesses and the most organized witnesses, it's almost like they're, they're running a relay race. They hand off to one another. They will have a unified message. They're going to be on message, whereas we have very, on our side, very committed individuals, parents uh, and so forth, who, you know, they come up with no resources on their own to testify because this is something of great import to them. Yeah. So, Dakota, thanks very much for your I'm sorry. One more, one more point. Yeah. yeah, and I just want to say, you know, on our radio show, Monday Night Roundtable, you know, it's it kind of, we, we notice the same thing as the left likes to use the same vocabulary. And, you know, we, we see it down at the State Board of Education meeting yesterday that, you know, they're all using the same words. They're yep. all using, describing myths that saying that we're spreading misinformation. It's kind of like, you know, it's just in sync with each other. And, you know, I agree with what you're saying. It's like a relay race. And that's exactly what they're doing down there uh, in trying to promote bad policies on education for kids. Absolutely right. Dakota, thanks very much. Uh, do we have a little bit more time here because then I can go to Bill? Bill. Bill's on hold. He's going to talk about programs uh, that schools are promoting. Bill, what do you have to say? What I have to say is there's a program that Hudson has adopted called the Whole Child Framework which is the brainchild of an NEA spinoff organization, the curriculum and somebody or other, that is the platform through which DEI, Courageous Conversations, SEL, et cetera, flow through. And it's a completely non-academic program. They have teamed up with the Ohio Diversity Center, Northeast or whatever it's called, and uh, have various programs, one called Proactive Circles. First graders get in a circle. They are asked a question by a facilitator, who I assume is the DEI person, and then they are expected to answer. They can. It says right in the rubric, they can pass the first time, but they must answer. And as well as Hudson's always done on the academic test, it's rated right up there, it seems to me that what our school system follows two, two courses. One, it takes money from anywhere it can, regardless of what that program imposes on you. And by the way, I spoke out against Title IX and called to the board's attention the time differences between men and women, which is in really seconds or half seconds in short 100-yard dashes and minutes and damn near later on as you get further out. Anyway, what I, I don't think our board people are bad people. It's not that. It's simply that 
do they recognize what they're doing? Or, and I have this uh, thought that might get me attacked by the people you speak of, is this all a Democrat Party, Biden administration, ployed to keep blacks voting for uh, Democrats? Because everything deals with race, race, race over and over again. Uh, Bill, thanks very much for the comment. It's very insightful. And, uh, yeah, look, um, you know, I could hold forth for the next three hours in terms of my own life experience, but more importantly, the more concentrated experience on the Civil Rights Commission and what I've seen. As I've said before, if you want to know what the left has planned for the United States five to ten years from now, come to a Civil Rights Commission hearing today because that's where they try out all of their schemes. Um, the, The fact is that Democrats, ever since... Before the Civil War, have always, and I've talked about this on C-SPAN, for example, and other places, have historically been the party of race and racial division. That is a truth. It's not, I'm try, not trying to be uh, pejorative about this. Uh, but they do that. They've refined it. Look at the Democrat message. Most of their issues would be rejected out of hand if they didn't appeal to more essential matters, such as somebody's race, sex, age, national origin, or some immutable characteristic, to convince people, frankly, to divide people and motivate them to vote for Democrats. It's always some kind of histrionic uh, issue on their part. But the things that they promote, just look where we are today. You can draw a straight line from all the debacles we've witnessed over the last year and a half to two years and some clear Democratic proposal or initiative, whether it be inflation, crime, borders, you name it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. None whatsoever. But Republicans, unfortunately, we are the party of the individual, not the party of the collective. So when it comes to school boards and you know uh, uh, any other kind of endeavor, we are at a fundamental disadvantage, which we need to overcome with energy, grit, and determination. Folks, we're going to be coming back in a minute or two. I want to talk about, and frankly, I want to give you some, I think, hopeful information about the election. You may be hearing, for example, even on Fox News, that, well, it's a close election. And, you know, my goodness, uh, Democrats uh, uh, have, uh, you know, flipped the script right now. It looked like it was going to be a red wave. And, you know, the Dobbs issue has gotten Democrats to come out. And it's not clear Republicans are going to take the House and Senate. I'm going to put all that to rest when we come back. Pete Kersenow for Bob France on Always Right. Always Right Radio. It's outrageous and it's dangerous. The answer. It's outrageous. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. It is getting stronger. Boy, this really goes fast, doesn't it? I just have a couple of points I wanted to make, as I mentioned, at the uh, bottom of the hour. And then we're going to go to one of my favorite callers, Sister Mary Grace. We've got a few other individuals holding. We'll get to you in just a moment. You've been hearing on a variety of programs that, you know, oh, it's tightening up in terms of the midterm elections. The red wave is not going to materialize. The Dobbs decision, the abortion decision has galvanized the left and all of this other stuff. Well, you know, some of that is actually true. But I want to give you the four indices Kersenow always looks to, maybe not infallible, but there are four powerful indices that are nearly infallible in predicting the outcome of elections. First, 
These are all historical indices. The first one is, what are the top issues and where are the parties on each of those issues? In the four top issues today are inflation, crime, immigration, and abortion. On inflation, the GOP has a lead, not by three points or four points, which is usually the case, but by 31 points. On crime, by 32 points. On immigration, by 23 points. And on abortion, the Dems are up by nine. When it comes to... um Presidential approval ratings, that also has an impact on how the midterms are going to turn out. If, you know, you've got a Democrat or a Republican in office and their approval ratings stink, that party's going to suffer for it. On inflation, Biden only has a pathetic 30-point approval rating. I think that's near or at an historic low. Crime, a 32% approval rating. And on immigration, a 31% approval rating. That is is fatal. The third one is the right track, wrong track number, okay? Is the country going in the right direction or the wrong direction? And if the figure is below 50%, the party in power is in trouble in the midterms. It is only at 24% right now, another historic low. And then the fourth indice is... um, the uh, where the party that it stands in terms of midterms is approval ratings of the president. We know the approval rating of the president is not uh, uh, very good right now. In fact, it's in an historic low. Give you an example. In 1994, when the Republicans took over the House for the first time in 40 years, Clinton, as president, had a 46 percent approval rating, and they lost, meaning the Democrats, 54 House seats and eight Senate seats. Then in 2010. Obama, the light bringer, had a 45% approval rating, and they lost 63 House seats and six Senate seats. In 2022, Biden's, remember, Clinton was at 46, Obama at 45 with those historic losses. Biden right now is at 36% approval rating, and he struggles to get near 40. So those four indices, not infallible, but they would indicate that on election night, the Democrats have far more to fear than Republicans do. Let's go to Sister Mary Grace. God loves you, Peter Kersenow, so much. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, there's a debate on that. He loves Trump, too. And the point is, I would reverse that and put the abortion on the first part. And the immigration and the crime and the inflation you wouldn't have to worry about. Um That is the point, my love. We need people to get out and vote and share it with your friends. And they got to know what we're voting for. Absolutely. And I am blessed to know what I know. But uh, it's more egregious sometimes than you can imagine. Uh, I can imagine a lot. And unfortunately, I'm in one of those positions where I get to see this stuff. Again, on the Civil Rights Commission, we see all kinds of things that make you just shake your head. It's insidious. Right, it truly is. And I respect you because I know that you see these things as I do. And Thank you, Sister just, Mary Grace. Truly God bless appreciate you. I'm it. What a great for message. All of you. Thank you very much. And let's go to Lisa Woods. I know Lisa, another one of my favorite persons. Lisa, you there? Oops, sorry. Yes, I'm here. Thank you. What's Can going you on, me? Lisa? Hey, I watched uh, the full two days of that grueling State Board of Education meeting, and I, I, I want to thank everybody that, that went out and actually testified. There were boatloads of written testimonies submitted 
uh, into the board books, which was really amazing, well over a 100. Um, I did not have a time, you know, have, haven't had time to look at them all, but I saw some fantastic ones. Pastor L. Davis, he was like the second on the list. For some reason, they're listed in alphabetical order by the first name. So L. Davis is like listed on second. His testimony, written testimony was fantastic. I heard Dakota, who called in, his testimony was, was awesome. Um, there was a great showing of uh, conservatives. There was a, a the group Moms for Liberty were there to support our conservative uh, members and Shay's re- resolution. I just want to say it's not over yet. They the uh, executive committee absorbed the resolution, which is not a good thing. However, um, we could continue to email them and uh, you know try to um, encourage them to continue to move forward with uh, what, what Brendan Shea put forward. And the, and the amendments that Toll made, who is an appointee, but he's, he's one of the better ones, along with Walt Davis out of the eight appointees, um, they were really pushing to get this, you know, a vote on this. Okay, very good. Um, again, I would encourage everybody to get in touch with State Board of Education, let them know where you stand on these issues. We need to continue to be alert. Lisa does yeoman's work, had been on State Board of Education, by the way. I would encourage everybody to get energized and active. We have a nation to save, as I've said before. So uh, anything else you have to say, Lisa? Yeah, just just I want to say thank you for those that participated. I think there were more people watching than usual. You know, your average citizen was watching the Ohio Channel. That's really positive. There were 41 people that testified for the resolution. There were 30 against it that were lefties, and several of them were repeat from the last month. Uh, I think that's notable. And also there were, I think, was it 23 or 26? It was over 20 people were still there waiting to testify, but they did get cut off and turned away, which was really a shame. And I, I know some folks uh, that, that actually were there at 7.30 in the morning and at 5.30 were told, they, that you know, no more. Community uh, Patriots. That must be heartbreaking. Yeah, Community Patriots, truly appreciate it. Lisa, thanks so much for the call. And Tim in Chesterland, let's go to Tim. Hello, Pete. Uh, calling regarding uh, the lack of action of the Republicans, uh, that is, why haven't they taken some legal action, at least like cease and desist orders against Biden for doing the illegal, unconstitutional things that he has done, such as opening that border and allowing all these invaders into our country? Well, you know, there's there's limitations to what they can do in terms of, you know, uh, you know who, how many people they've got in terms of majority in Congress, etc. And then there's also standing issues as you've probably heard when you watch any of the Donald Trump litigation. That is, does somebody have standing to bring something? What we need to do, you know, individuals can bring actions. Uh, If we have a majority in Congress, they can hold hearings and have impeachment proceedings. You talk about impeachment. These are the reasons for impeachment, such as Mayorkas, Biden, you name it. They really should be impeached. But, folks, i got to get going. Tim, thanks very much. Thanks. To Bob for letting me sit in and risking his FCC license. Come to the Talkers Tour on the 22nd. Say hello. We're going to have a heart. We're going to have a great time. Please say hello before I get arrested and go to jail. Pete Kirsten now for Bob France. <laughs>